Knoxville Tower, runway 23 left at Alpha 8, taxi via Alpha Taxiway. No delay, wind 2904, runway 23 left at Alpha 8, clear for takeoff, traffic 3 mile final. Read back correct, tower for taxi, have a good flight. Welcome to From the Runway Up. I'm Becky. And I'm Caitlin. And we work in the Public Relations Department at McGee Tyson Airport in Knoxville, Tennessee. We understand that going behind the scenes in an airport these days isn't as easy as it used to be. So that's where this podcast comes in. Each episode, we'll give you a behind-the-scenes look of current events at our airport and in the aviation industry as a whole. So fasten your safety belts and join us on this aviation adventure. Welcome to this edition of From the Runway Up. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, maintenance facilities at McGee Tyson Airport, and we're going to take a visit with Endeavor Air, a wholly owned subsidiary of Delta Airlines. It is the world's largest operator of Bombardier CRJ900 aircraft, and they actually have a maintenance facility here at our airport. Yeah, and that is one of the many great things that we have here available on property at McGee Tyson Airport is Endeavor Air, and then we also have another maintenance hangar, Express Jet. Mm -hmm. And they both do a lot of things to maintain aircraft, keep them operating, and then also uh, make sure that everything's been checked so that they pass the requirements they're supposed to have to maintain a healthy maintenance program for these airlines that serve our market. One of the benefits that our passengers get from having two maintenance facilities here at McGee Tyson is that because the airplanes have to come to our market, sometimes we get additional air service or additional flights so that they can make sure that they're here for overnight maintenance or for longer long-term maintenance but we'll learn more about that when we have our discussion with Jay McKinley. Yes so we are going to have Jay McKinley speak to us about aircraft maintenance. Jay is the base manager for Endeavor Air here at McGee Tyson Airport. So, Jay, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Uh, Jay McKinley, maintenance manager for Endeavor in Knoxville, Tennessee at the McGee Tyson Airport. 26, 27 years in the industry as an aircraft mechanic. How long have you been with Endeavor? A year and a half so far. I've enjoyed the, I've done a few different things in my career, as you both of you know. I'm enjoying being back in East Tennessee. We're glad to have you back, too. But you're being a little dismissive about what you've done in the industry. You also helped to uh, work at a smaller airport that was non-commercial, and you've also helped students do a lot of learning in the area that you're an expert in. So can you tell us about that? Sure. As both of you know, I started with, uh, came to Knoxville with ExpressJet or Continental Express back in 1999. We grew that operation from basically one overnight to two sea check lines, a ground damage line, and 14 overnights by the time that I left. I took an opportunity to follow my um, vice president of HR to a 135 operator in Smyrna, Tennessee, which was corporate flight management at the time. It's now become Contour Airlines or Contour Aviation. And they do part 380 charter. They do a lot of point-to-point flying with uh, essential air service routes. Uh, They do Tupelo to Nashville, Crescent City to San Diego, San Francisco, anyway, Page, Arizona. So that's what they do. Uh, And on top of that, they manage aircraft for owners. So uh, we managed a couple of aircraft for Crystal Cruise Lines, uh, Resorts World International, and we managed 
several private owners. Uh, the, the the owner of Dollar General, we managed his aircraft. Um, he had he had a couple of nice airplanes that we managed for him. And those aircraft people buy those aircraft. They operate them Part ninety one for themselves, and then they they're on a one hundred thirty five certificate, so they can be chartered um, and lease those charters out. So we flew a lot of the country music stars, some other high named, very wealthy individuals around mm-hmm. the country. So that was it was and you interesting. Said all that was in Smyrna. That was in Smyrna, Tennessee. So you mentioned a lot of uh, you know Part one hundred thirty five and a lot of industry jargon, which unfortunately our listeners are extremely um, familiar with. Yeah. And we throw that around a lot. So can you start by just kind of saying, what does Endeavor do at the airport? What we do here for Endeavor and for Delta is uh, we maintain the CRJ 200, 700, 900 fleet that is operated solely for Delta Airlines. And that entails six overnights. And we do anything from engine changes, landing gear changes, and just normal inspections of the on the overnight aircraft, interior inspections where we try to improve the interior of the aircraft for the customer experience. So in essence, someone the airplane flies in at night when it's not being utilized for commercial service. So while it's not got passengers on board, you all work at night to make sure the plane's ready to go the next morning and repair any of the things that need to be repaired. That's correct. So the typically in the in the commercial sector in the and the customer piece of it, most of the passengers are moved during the day. Most of your revenue flights are done by hopefully midnight, if everything's on time. Yeah. And no um, weather delays. Yeah, and no <laughs> weather delays or Atlanta you know, ground stops, whatever. Um, but so we take the aircraft once it arrives, the, the cleaning crews, they'll deplane the aircraft, they clean the aircraft. We take the aircraft off the gate, move it to the hangar and do um, scheduled inspections on the aircraft. Most of those scheduled inspections, it's, it's driven by safety. We're looking for, you know, that's our number one thing as a, as a maintenance, as a, as a technician or a maintenance provider is providing the, the flight crews and the passengers the safest aircraft that we possibly can to ensure they get to their destination. Coupled with that, we want to have the cleanest and best looking interiors so the customer experience is, is high. You know, we're competing with all the other Brand X airlines, Delta being probably the best in the business and has been for years. And we have a high standard that we're held to and that, that we maintain. And so for our listeners that maybe this is the first time that they're hearing of Endeavor, you all are located actually on airport property. And so it's very easy for the aircraft just to come over during the night, park in your hangar and get get those inspections. That's correct. We, we pull the aircraft off the gate, the maintenance guys, uh, several technicians on night shift are, ta- are trained to taxi the aircraft. So we move the aircraft basically the same way that a pilot would. Um, and the hangars are attached, you know, via taxiway to the, to the terminals. And there are different levels of inspections that you do right here at this facility. So can you kind of talk us through what is a standard inspection and what other things an aircraft goes through to make sure that it's airworthy for the airline? Sure. I think the best way to compare it for the average person, most everybody owns a vehicle. If you've looked at your your maintenance schedule for your vehicle, it's all in your glove box, the, the book that comes with the car. You know, you have a, this many miles, you do this, this many miles, you do this. Aircraft are maintained the same way. We have, you know, calendar-driven items cycle-driven items and hour-driven items versus miles. Um, a cycle being each a takeoff and landing. An hour is how many hours it's operating. And then calendars, that's you know a daily type thing. So the inspections range from uh, every three days we are required to do a, a line check. And that's basically your tires, your lights, your, your, your servicing, like checking your only car. We do that. It's, it has to be done every three days. We typically do it every day. If it's in a maintenance facility, that aircraft will get touched. And then from there, it goes to the routine checks, the A 
weight checks, the 600 flight hour checks, everything's kind of broken up and, and bundled together. So all the aircraft manufacturers have, have a maintenance program that they recommend. And then depending on the size of the carrier, those maintenance programs can be customized based on reliability data. So let me see if I understand. An airplane gets looked at at least every day, but definitely within every three days so that somebody's paying attention to just the basics that I don't actually look at my oil change until 3,000 miles. They actually get checked a lot more frequently than I check my car. That's correct. I mean, we do, and you've probably seen some of our technicians on the gate here, we actually meet the crew when the aircraft lands. We have a debrief with the crew between each flight. So any of our maintenance locations, we have a technician standing by when the aircraft arrives and we talk to the crew, hey, do you have any issues, whatever. If they did, we address them. Um, so if we every don't, flight every flight. The day. And that's done two trains of thought. I mean, you're a you're ahead of the game. If there is an issue with the aircraft that needs to be addressed, the technician is standing by to take a verbal turnover from the crew, as well as the written turnover that goes into the logbook as in the form of a discrepancy. So we're there, hopefully, in enough time that we can correct the discrepancy while they're still deplaning and loading the bags and getting prepared to take the next. So the the passenger would never never know. know. Would never know. As a traveler, that makes me feel really good that there's always some. When they're looking out for my best interest. So you mentioned that these aircraft get inspected, you know, once a day or up to three days. Um, how many technicians are inspecting those aircraft? It depends on the inspection. The typical line check, if it's done on an overnight, would be one technician. We do, on occasion, we will do a line check between flights. That usually takes two guys to be able to do it in, in less than 30 minutes. And then it goes from there. So the, the heaviest check that we do here would be a B1 check. And there's a series of B1, 2, 3, and 4. Those typically take eight to 10 guys, and it takes about eight hours to comply with the inspection. Oh, wow. That's one of the heaviest inspections we do. You know, and there's maintenance jargons. You know, the, the letter checks are not the grade of the check. They're the they're just how we track them. So we have A1, 2, 3, and 4. And it's on, not like, like on, the B aircraft. Correct, <laughs> yeah. correct. I've heard that on the news a couple of times where they've had an aircraft incident in flight, and they said, this aircraft just came out of a C check. A and it's like, and yeah. they're like, well, wait a minute. Nobody knows what that is. You know, we have, they're just, it's just a letter we use to track that particular check throughout the life of the aircraft. Well, and this is just something from my point of view. We have also heard things like a T1, T2. So how do you determine that? I mean, so each organization has their own or are there standard things that are required by the FAA that you all do and turn in? Each operator labels their checks differently. And it's basically for tracking purposes. So pulling from, you know, from history, the Embraer fleet operated by ExpressJet, you had a C1 and a C2. So the basic package that was put together by Embraer was a C1 or a C2. Well, we had all the way up to 10C, I think was the last one that we had done. And as the aircraft ages, those checks, the basic checks stays the same, that every 2,000 hours you have to do these minimal things or 4,000 hours, whatever the number is. And then as the aircraft ages, you get 20,000, 30,000 hours on the aircraft. Those checks, the basic checks the same, but there's more things that are added onto it through the aging aircraft and then the cycles that are on the aircraft and the calendar obviously drives some of it. So each carrier does it a little bit differently, but the, the basics, you know, an A check is typically done in an overnight. A B check is typically done in an overnight. A C check is a heavy maintenance event. That's, you know, anywhere 
20 to 30 days. Well, and you talk about the people who are working on it, meeting the airplane. What kind of background do they have to have to be able to do this? That's a good question. You asked that earlier with bringing technicians into the industry. There's probably three ways that somebody can come into the industry. Military is one. Uh, the second one that we just the most common would probably be going through an A&P school. Um, there is an A&P school up in Morristown, uh, Tennessee College of Applied Technology. We've had hired several, several people from there over the years on to the airport. And then the third way, which is not as common, is is through OJT. But all three of those, all three I'm of those. sorry, what is OJT? On the job training. On the job training. Oh, you're so good. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Not as many people do that because it takes a long time to go that route. Uh, but all three still have to take the FAA test to become a licensed technician, an AMP technician, airframe power plant. And it's a nice job to have, and it pays well. It's something that's high level of experience, and it's rewarded at a higher level pay because the expertise of the people who are having to do that. So you often do things to encourage people to become AMP mechanics. Do you see that continuing? Do you see people moving to that profession? or Right now in the industry, their focus has been for the past probably 10 years on pilots. There's been a pilot shortage, and that has slowly shifted to what I would consider a, a shortage of technicians. Careful when I say that, I think there's a there's more of a shortage of quality than there is quantity. There's a, there's quantities there, but the quality is has kind of slipped a little bit. But we are, Endeavor in particular, we really recruit a lot of, of military veterans that have had some sort of either helicopter or fixed wing experience coming out of the military, and then have gone on to get their get their licenses. So it doesn't necessarily matter that they haven't worked specifically on an Endeavor aircraft, aviation in general, fixed wing in general. They already have that baseline. That's what you're looking for? Absolutely. It's a license to learn. You know, once you get your license, aircraft is an aircraft, flight control is a flight control. Any experience is better than than none. Of course, me being from East Tennessee, I look for the farm kid that's worked on a tractor with his papa and his dad for the past, you know, 10 to 15 years as he was growing up that has gone on to become, wanted to become an aircraft technician. That's the ones that really float to the top because they've been working in a barn in the dust and the hay and dealing with cow poo and everything else. (laughs) We're not going to throw anything at them that's going to scare them. Yeah. Well, and so you mentioned these three ways to get into the industry. So then what? So then say I want to work for Endeavor. What is the the process? Are there tests? Like, because you mentioned quality. Obviously, quality is very important when you're working to inspect aircraft. So how are they tested and, and hired? We have a maintenance pathway program. We've partnered with six of the larger A&P schools in the country, and we're actually doing free interviews and offer conditional offer letters six months before they actually get out of school to try to grab the right people and get them to make the decision and commit to us early on. And that puts in a better position to, to capture the people that we actually want out of the schools. And the schools, they have to do a minimum of a certain amount of hours. So those hours are tracked. So we have full access to their attendance records, which... Uh, <laughs> I'll review. Right? We talked to all of their instructors. You know, how did he do in sheet metal? How did he do in power plant? And then we kind of can build up where this individual, how they've done in school and how that's going to, you know, roll over to us. So once someone is hired, what kind of training do they, do they go through continual training to keep them abreast of everything that's going on or changing with aircraft? We do. I mean, Endeavor really is in the driver's seat when it comes to bringing a new hire technician in, either with no experience or somebody coming out of the military. We have basically 
you, within the first year, we have your training program laid out for you. So you do your first two weeks at headquarters in Minneapolis, where you will go through how to do our paperwork. And then you'll come here for six months where you're lined up with a designated station trainer that provides OJT, kind of shows you the ropes, the bathroom here, the tool rooms here, et cetera. Break room. Yeah, Break the rooms here, <laughs> the important things. And with that, we teach, we go as basic as we don't know who we're getting, right? And a lot of times we don't know what their background is completely. We teach people how to wear safety glasses, how to wear earplugs, how to, you know, how to keep yourself safe on the aircraft. And then that goes into learning the aircraft systems. So there's, I think there's four schools that will push you through within the first year of joining Endeavor. And that's truly industry leading. Most of the regionals don't commit to that level of training in the first year, which is, it's good and bad for us. Uh, We have turnover that's driven by that because, you know, any of the big carriers or anybody else looks at us and they're like, Endeavor's doing a good job of training their technicians. Um, So we're going to scoop them up. But at the same time, we get the right people in here that want to come to East Tennessee and stay in East Tennessee. Then we've got a a very well-trained, well-rounded technician within the first couple of years of them joining us. Well, and I have another in regards to overall operations at McGee Tyson. Because you are here and because you chose our airport to have your location and to do your operations, it also means that planes fly into Knoxville just so they can have maintenance, which ensures that we have service to a lot of hub cities that Endeavor serves. So it translates to additional service for the passengers flying out and more frequencies. So what is it about East Tennessee? Is it geographically located in a great position for you all? Is it something that um, was attractive when making the selection or do you were you a part of any of that? I wasn't a part of any of that. Being a part of the continental piece of it, it's the community, right? We've discussed the numbers and the amount of dollars that ExpressJet put into and Continental Express put into the local community several times in the Aviation Academy. But it was, you know, with that particular, the reason that Continental came here was McGee Tyson rolled out the red carpet and said, hey, we'll do whatever it takes. Showed the different places on the airfield where they could put people, where they could build a hangar, and the state of Tennessee got involved. And that was huge economic impact to, to the Knoxville area, bringing that facility here. And this is the same, um, a little bit smaller scale, but still it, it puts a lot of money into the economy. It sure does. And we appreciate you being here. Well, and you mentioned for an airport our size, is it typical to have two aircraft maintenance facilities on property? Not being a hub for anyone? Mm-hmm. No. I wouldn't okay. think so. Knoxville was chosen for a heavy maintenance facility for Continental because of the, the cost of doing business in, in East Tennessee, obviously. And the community really wanted to have more of a footprint here, you know, in the aircraft maintenance piece of it. I mean, for years, there was, you know, a few people here and there. You know, Delta had a couple of people. UPS has a couple of technicians across the way with, you know, ExpressJet really opened the doors and with ExpressJet happened. Pinnacle, now Endeavor happened. Now Cirrus is here. Allegiant is here. And they're all providing maintenance. And then you have the National Guard, of course, across the way. And UPS, I think, still has two technicians. That's one of the most coveted jobs in UPS, I believe, is trying to get back to here with UPS. Well, good. So what do you see coming down the road for maintenance at organizations like this? It's growth. Most of the MROs in the United States are at capacity. That is, you know, with Embraer in Nashville, they opened a new facility in Macon because they were, they're at capacity in Nashville. They're overflowing with the amount of people that want to bring aircraft in to have them maintained. So I, I see growth. I mean, there's a project in Greenville. I think it's Greenville, Tennessee at the airport up there where a gentleman has done all the legwork to try to bring in another carrier or another MRO maintenance repair organization to try to bring more industry 
Missouri into East Tennessee. It's just going to keep growing, I believe. Which is a theme. Yeah, which is our theme lately, talking about passenger traffic. We're seeing on average 12 or 13% at the bottom of our monthly growth, sometimes as much as 20. Mm -hmm. So that obviously has impacts on your operation because it means more planes are coming in and more opportunities for maintenance. So growth is our theme, it seems to be. It is. So whenever these planes come in um, for the A, B, or C uh, checks... What do you see most that you're having to work on? Good question. We're always looking for the safety stuff. So tires, brakes, anything that the inspection drives us in to look for. Most of us driven around safety. You know, it's the, again, it's the safety of the passengers, safety of the crew members. Tires are common. Brakes are common. Obviously servicing the oil, servicing the, you know, all the fluids. That's probably the top. We do that every night. That's something that happens all the time. We go through probably a case oil, a shift. That's the nature of the beast. They use oil. Well, that might be concerning for somebody that drives a car when they hear the word use oil. <laughs> so the, the two different types of power plants between an aircraft and a motor vehicle, the aircraft engines, they, they bypass oil. So it's intentional. So they use oil as they run. And what about the tires? How often do you have to change aircraft tires? It depends on how bad they're abused, which we, I don't know if you've done a podcast with a pilot yet, but they can be hard on a set of tires. It depends on the runways that the aircraft's operated on. With Contour, we operated to several islands, one of which was Bimini, and that runway is, is made out of crushed shells and coral, and it is like a cheese grater on a set of tires. You land, the tires are hot, that particular airport does not have a taxiway, so they land, they have to turn around and do a back taxi on the runway. So you're really abusing the tires, especially the one, you know, if it, most pilots turn to the left. So that number one tire, it basically locks in position and you spin the aircraft on that hot tire mm-hmm. and it's like a cheese grater on the tire. The nose tires take a lot of abuse too. It depends on the airport, depends on where we're going with them. It depends on the, the cycles drive a lot of it. It's hard to, I'm sure somebody has a number somewhere of how long a tire should last if operated in normal conditions. These tires are tough. Yeah. Well, kind of like brakes too. And it just, like you used a car analogy earlier, it just depends on the, the driver. The driver. Yeah, a lot of it does. It does. They try to stop and hit the high-speed cutoffs instead of letting the aircraft roll out. You're going to wear the brakes out a lot quicker. That's true. That's the true. The length of the runways plays into it. So you don't just do the exterior of the aircraft. You actually go inside and you look at upholstery. You look at armrest. You look at everything because a passengers are sitting in that aircraft. That's their experience. They want it to be what they expect it to be, not uh, ripped up or done that way. So what other things do you do in Inside the aircraft for, that the passenger would notice? Carpet. We have scheduled carpet changes. Some of that's dictated by Delta. They want to keep the, the cabins, you know, they, obviously they want to look better than United and American, which I think we do 99% of the time. Some of that's scheduled, um, but if we see gum ground in, we'll pull the carpet. You just can't get gum out of carpet. Yeah. So we'll, you can't we'll get it out it. of hair. You can't get it out of anything. No. Gum is very bad. <laughs> yes, it's bad. There's a lot of gum on airplanes. So cleanliness is one. And one of my pet peeves is armrest because, I mean, everybody uses an armrest and the pads on the top of the armrest being worn or degraded just drives me nuts. So we go through a lot of armrest here. That's just one of my pet peeves. I can't stand it. I've seen uh, gentlemen and ladies as well rip their pants on you know, or a dress on, on armrest that were just worn, which you never want to see a customer get off of an aircraft with a, with a hole in their pants due to something that we could have prevented. Yeah. So having experienced that a couple of times just became one of my pet peeves. So whenever you're traveling the whole time, are you just like inspecting the Oh, aircraft? taking pictures. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I try to get the nose number or the end number when I board the aircraft. I'm the guy at the corner of the terminal and I'm snapping the picture. And then when I get on the aircraft, whatever seat I'm in, I'm nitpicking it to death. <laughs> 
if it's bad and it's one of our aircraft, then I'll, I'll make sure that it gets documented and somebody addresses it, hopefully at the next station, but at least by the end of the day. Somebody's looked at it. Mm-hmm. Next time I fly, I'm going to send you pictures. Send me pictures. This yeah. is a really nice seat. You did a good job. Look at my armrest. <laughs> <laughs> the other one's window shades. I can't stand being in, a, in an aircraft where the window shade is either broken or only half of it works, which is to the average person, it's just a window shade. But to a maintenance guy, you cringe when a window shade's broken because there's a lot of times the seats have to come out to get in to fix that window shade. Really? So it's, it's, it's bigger um, than you think. It's, it's one of those it's jobs. It's a job. Yeah. It's a job. Wow. Carpets. Carpet's pretty tough, too, especially if it's under the seats and the seats are in there. It's difficult to get the carpet in and out. But that's it's part of it. What it comes down to is you want that passenger, all of the passengers, to come back and fly with you again. And you don't want to, especially these days with social media, somebody snaps a picture of gum ground in a carpet and it goes viral. Guess what? You yeah. Know, you just don't want that. So yeah. we, put a, we put a lot of effort into making sure that, that the interiors come out looking better than they came in. And we've only got about eight hours of touch time, so it's a challenge some nights. But, I mean, that's a, it's always a goal. And so this is a 24-hour operation. It never. is. And we always ask people who come on our podcast, tell us the most interesting stories about what you do. So do you have any that you might want to share about maintenance? Some of the things you thought, how did they do that? <laughs> Because I know I look at my kids and go, how did you do that? (laughs) There's a lot of interesting stories in maintenance. And I'm sure if anybody that knows me listens to this podcast, they're going to be thankful that I decided to uh, defer this question to off recording. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we see some interesting things. Yeah, I imagine you do. And it's all three of us have had conversations about some of the things in the past, you know, and for the average flying public, it's not something that you want to discuss some of the things that you've seen. But it's kind of interesting sometimes. Some some of it makes news, and fortunately, most of it does not. Yeah, I think what's interesting is most of the times when we've been out in the hangar and seen aircraft that are being worked on, a bunch of them have lightning strikes. I think that's interesting. Yep, it is. Um, And we're actually doing a lightning strike inspection in Atlanta today with one of the aircraft that's out of service. Lightning is it's there. Anybody that's flown at night has probably either flown over it, flown through it, or flown around and seen it out the window. Um, I've snapped a few pictures going into Atlanta. Atlanta is like a magnet for thunder storms, I think, but they happen frequently. You know, fortunately, there's so much redundancy built into the aircraft to keep the aircraft safe, the passengers safe, to make sure we get to that final destination, wherever that is. You know, the aircraft can take a substantial lightning strike hit and everything will continue to operate. The crew may lose a particular piece of a system. We may lose a static wick. We have, you know, the aircraft is designed to absorb the hit and dissipate the hit and continue on. But then the repairs that ensue afterwards, I've seen aircraft out of service for six, seven days for lightning strikes in the past, depending on how bad they were hit. You have an entry point and an exit point, and depending on where that exit point is, it can get pretty crazy with the repairs. So you mentioned redundancy. Can you talk a little bit about that? I know that makes me as a traveler feel a lot safer that there's a lot of redundancies in place on aircraft. Sure. Most of the aircraft that are in regional or mainline, they all have at least two engines. Both those engines have a have a generator on each side. Um, we also have an auxiliary power unit and an APU customers hear APU heard over the loudspeaker every now and then when they're when they're sitting in the seat we have an APU issue or whatever the APU has a generator on it as well so you have two primary sources of electricity to run all the everything on the flight deck the hydraulic pumps and everything are run off of those and then you have on the on the Bombardier product and most of your larger aircraft you have a, a ram air turbine if you do lose all three of your sources of electricity you can pop that ram air turbine out and it looks just like a trolling motor on a boat and the four momentum of the aircraft spins that prop which drives another generator 
that will power your hydraulic system. So you have four levels of redundancy to maintain electric power, to run everything on the flight deck, the essential stuff, and one remaining hydraulic pump. And then the hydraulic systems, you have engine-driven pumps. So as long as an engine's running, you have, an, you have a hydraulic pump there. And then on the Bombardier, you have four electric pumps as backup to the, the two engine-driven pumps. And every aircraft's a little bit different, but they've all got multiple layers of, of redundancy. And it's, you know, it goes back to, you know, Pilot 101, you know, as everything else is going wrong, just fly the airplane. So the manufacturers have done the best they can to ensure that the pilot continue to fly the airplane, even in a worst case scenario. So the FADEC controlled aircraft, which is the sevens and the nines or the all the Embraers, that engine will continue to run with every single thing in the aircraft, batteries and everything turned off. That engine will continue to run and you can monitor your engine parameters off the radio. It's how much redundancy, it's how, how deep it goes. And I've tried it. It works. That's amazing. That should make the people that, you know, have a fear of flying, that should make them feel a little better. Knowing so if many things thing are in goes place. Wrong, there's two, three, four more, yeah, back up. Depending on the how critical the system is, um, like your navigation, there's three. So you have your primary, secondary, and the third, which you hope you never go to having to shoot an approach with using a wet compass. But um, if you lost everything, it, all the aircraft still have a compass on board. Yeah. Huh. And that's your, the way they did it in 1900. Yeah. So it can be done. And the, the training that the flight crews go through, especially at a 121 level carrier, the amount of time that they spend in the simulator has having different things thrown at them so they know how to react to muscle memory. You know, they, they simulate engine out. They simulate loss of hydraulics, loss of electric. They simulate all that stuff, and they go through that training, both the first officer and the and the captain, hours. And then there's recurrent on top of that. So they're trained for that failure. Potential failure. Yeah, but... <laughs> Potential failure. Unlikely failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jay, is there anything else you'd like to share with us today about Endeavor or about maintenance or what you think is the outlook for this uh, organization here at Mickey Tyson Airport? Our number one job is safety, safety of the passengers, safety of our, of our flying crews. That's where it all it all starts there. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate you sharing your time and sharing your experience and expertise because it went way past Endeavor and it went into a long history here at McGee Tyson into your thorough knowledge of airplanes in general and what systems are in place to keep our traveling public on safe aircraft that are well maintained. So thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. So thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of From the Runway Up. We hope that we gave you some behind-the-scenes access to what goes on at airports across the United States and here at McGee Tyson Airport. More importantly, show us that love and give us some ratings and reviews and let us know what you would like for us to dive into in the future. And also make sure you subscribe so that you know when our next episodes will be coming out because we have some great things planned for this next year. 